The Fellowship of Cunts presents Doomspawn's Diary The Horde of the Dragon Queen Written and read by Maledicta, Doomspawn, Fortuna The 15th of Shes, 1492, Day of Three Ships Sailing It has been seven months since my last journal entry. Our campaign against Dazers and Zorns has proven to be just as tedious as I had imagined it would be when we set out, last summer. As an extra annoyance, we were forced to fetch our reward from Cash's hidden southwest of Fandalin. Altogether it was a worthwhile haul, 2,000 golds worth in reassured grade crystal. Twelve fine amethysts worth a hundred gold each, a rose quartz jewel worth 250 gold pieces, and a somewhat fragile unstone which now circles Yorat's head as a protective charm. As we returned this evening around sunset, we were startled to see smoke rising from the village, and a dark, winged shape circling in the sky above, Fandalin was apparently under dragon attack. Our fellowship followed Fleetfoot gangs into town, where we quickly encountered a fearful family fleeing from a band of brigands. The dragon's destruction was evidently being abetted by human dragon cultists and a cutthroat kobold cohort. I watched as the cutters had to learn fast with magic, and mercilessly cut down Lennon Swift, a brave but inept local woman. Gang slept forth to protect her children and their lame father, Kuf Swift, quickly clabbering a couple of kobolds, while Jurat dueled spells with a cultist, felling his foe in a flesh. Suddenly freed from his temporary trance, Tolarin just as rapidly fell back under another cultist's magic sway. Along with Gangs too, both brothers became fully frozen. As I splashed a pair of kobolds with Ashit, Brixlutu, with Hugh. Terrified, the remaining kobolds fled into the darkness, leaving the human cultists behind. Yorat shattered the concentration of one of the spellcasters, freeing Gangs from his stasis and killed another with the same spell, while Tagan revived Linen. Brick knocked the last cultist unconscious, and I said to healing Kuf of his injuries, thanks be to Bashaba. Linen informs us that a large force of these raiders, with draconic air support, had just descended upon Fandalin today. Suddenly, we were once again under attack, for more cultists, and a splinter-armored warrior, came at us from the north. Brick faced the fighter and put an end to him at once. Gangs, Tolarin, and I slew one cultist with our combined attacks. Yorat Eldritch blasted another, but Tigan fell under paralytic enchantment. Von cultist tried to flee, but I commanded him to halt, in Beshaba's name, and Gangs put him out of his misery. Yorat and Tolarin put down another, freeing again, and the last fled for his life into the shadows. Tigan and Yorat roughly interrogated our captive cultist, who confessed that they were members of the Cult of the Dragon, here to collect loot for their Dragon Queen. Yorat relieved the cultist of one of his onyx daggers, while Tagan relieved the man of his life. We told the swifts to take shelter in a nearby house as our fellowship headed east along a section of the ruined old, Fandalin Wall. A kobold spotted gangs, but merely saluted, thanks to Beshaba, and we continued onward. We came to the other farm, where the house was abandoned, but in the field we found the farmer and her son, with two more halfling villagers. 
these habits warned us that there around the manor was swarming with cultists and kobolds, and perhaps there is a dragonborn among them as well. We decided to dress in the garb of the cultists, and approach the doom grotto, in order to enter the manor from below. With guns in the lead, we bluffed past the posted sentries, and made our way through the tunnel and into the manor. Inside, we discovered two-thirds of the citizen had taken shelter here, and Brick spotted his trusty sergeant Goof, and eight more of his men from the Fandaling Guard. Together, the guards and my fellow cans mounted the manor's roof turret to SS the battle. Immediately, we were blasted by the lightning breath of a blue dragon, dropping to Larin, Sergeant Goof, and a guardsman. Ganks revived his brother with a potion, and the weakened halfling monk pulled himself and the unconscious sergeant back down the hatch to safety. Coming round again, the dragon battered two more guards to their deaths as she flew by. Brick and Ganks readied their attacks for the next pass, while I invoked duplicity, making a distracting double image of myself. As Yorat and Tigan launched magical attacks, the dragon flew off in vexation. I sensed that the dragon was likely acting under coercion, and that she did not really want this fight. I healed the gravely wounded guardsman, and we took a short rest. Sergeant Gav estimated there were about a hundred raiders in the attacking force, made of a mix of kobolds, cultists, drakes, dragonmen, and someone who looks very much like ganks. Suddenly, one of the guards shouted in alarm, warning that raiders were trying to set fire to the mill on the other side of town. We left the manor to head to the mill, and tried to bluff past a group of raiders outside the door, but an ill-tempered slab by gangs set off a wild melee. In the end, our foes lay charred and slain in the bloodwed mud. Tigan halted us all of our minor injuries, and we continued across Fandalin. We encountered four more toothless local serfs, whom we instructed to head for shelter in the manor. We made our stealthy way through Edermat's accursed orchard, until we ran into another group of raiders, an armored warrior, four more cultists, and two drakes. The warrior shot Yorat with his crossbow, and Yorat retaliated with a hellish rebuke. The cultists cast hot spells on the rest of the cans, catching Brick and Tolarin in their magic snare. Tagan shattered three of the cultists, and Brick shook off their magic, but Tolarin remained held fast. I hit one drake with a poison spray, while ganks smashed another. From the shadows, four more kobolds came whirling slills, pelting Yorat with stones. Ganks faced off against the warrior, while Brick charged in and hacked down a cultist. My poison spray was proving ineffective against the human foes. So I maneuvered into position and pulled out my lightning bolt scroll. As Brick chopped down another cultist, I blasted Vaughn to smithereens, and severely scorched another. Tolarin shook off his stasis, while Gang snagged the warrior on his ass, and Yorat continued to get stoned. Barely standing, Glastafluvian killed two kobolds with eldritch blasts. The last cultist dared to command me to flee but when I laughed in his face, he turned tail and fled. I slaughtered the coward with pleasure, as Gangs stamped the warrior's life out, and Tolarin obliterated the last living kobold, enraged that he had missed so much of the fight. We continued to the mill. Gangs went across the bridge. Kobolds spotted him, and fled instantly, 
abandoning the small fires they had begun to set at the base of the mill. We all followed gangs over the bridge, on high alert, wary of attack. Gangs, indeed, was just missed by a hail of incoming sinkstones as the expected ambush came, in the form of six kobolds. Gangs and Stolarin focused on putting out the fires. Brick launched a javelin at the kobolds with expert IM, and Jurat and Tigan both used their spells to great effect, killing all the attackers. We put out the remaining fires, but could not help but notice how half-assed this whole arson attempt appears. With Tagan at my side, I burst the door open, ready for anything, but the room appeared quiet, empty, and highly suspicious. As Brick wondered aloud, what are these kobolds about, I pulled out another scroll, and cast an augury. Indeed, the omens plainly pointed to oh, there was a hidden danger here. Fearless, the monks entered first, and flashed out five fighters, and five fanatics, lying in wait on the loft level. Gangs leapt up to the loft, and blasted the foes with lightning breath, to give them a first-hand taste of the draconic power they so admire. Brick hauled himself up on the other side of the room, and hacked down a cultist. Tegan, from the doorway, shattered a quarter of the catwalk, killing a number of villains in a masterpiece of violence. Tolarin and Brick skillfully executed the remaining raiders. Upon reflection, it began to seem as if this whole encounter was intended to divert Fandalin's defending forces, including Wes, into fighting pointless skirmishes. We decided that, after a short rest, we should head to the town square, to see what was happening there. We found a crowd of raiders gathered outside the cursed New Timoran Temple, airing some arguably legitimate grievances against the Timoran clergy whom they had trapped inside and were planning to murder. Yorat quickly slaughtered a small group of kobolds and cultists by the back door, and together Yorat, Tegan, and I killed fifteen more kobolds. Gangs and Tolarin, reconnoitering in stealth, reported that a new and larger mob was at the front of the temple. So Brick snuck to the back of the building, and hailed Sister Garay inside. As I distracted the mob out front with subterfuge and spellcraft, the other cans ushered the refugees out of the temple and back to the manor. Then I turned invisible, and joined my fellow cans back home. The 16th of Shes, 1492 there was little rest before the first light of dawn arrived, when we were hailed by the raiders outside. Their champion, a draconic warrior named Langdedrosace Anvrat, wanted to face a champion of our choosing in a one-on-one -on -one fight. In exchange, they would release four captive peasants who were of no value to anyone, save Sergeant Gaff, to whom they were kin. Tau Master Wester begged our fellowship to intervene, so I volunteered gangs for the challenge knowing he would be keen to test his metal. Gangs bravely faced Langdedrosa, but unarmed and outmatched he was swiftly cut down. He may have lost the bout, but he courageously won the freedom of the hostages. As the raiders left, they raised a victorious share, to help lift town morale. We spent the rest of the day assessing the damage to Fandalin as we gathered strength and fresh supplies. We will set out after the raiding party on the morrow. Beshabawelin, their trail will not be hard to follow, and we will be able to catch up to them quickly. Kla tu berade nikto amen.
the 17th of Shes, 1492. As we were leaving Fandalin this morning, we were stopped by an injured traveling monk from Berdusk named Nesim Valadra. He told us that his master, a half-elven monk named Laushen Erlantar, had gone missing last night after a savage battle with the raiders. Valadra offered us 250 gold pieces each to search for his master, so we added this to our quest. The raiders' tracks were easy to follow, and they were moving slowly, laden down as they were with their ill-gotten booty. We followed the trail south of Fandalin, into a rugged area of high plateaus and jutting cliffs, until we spotted smoke from a campfire. Tolarin scouted ahead, and discovered four kobolds squabbling over their breakfast. We decided to surround them in stealth, and began to take up our positions. As Gangs was moving into striking distance, Yorat snapped a twig, and the startled kobolds bolted. I magically commanded Von to halt, and Brick skewered another with a javelin. Gangs spotted four more cultists to the right, so Yorat and I moved to face these more dangerous adversaries in a spellcraft showdown. The other Kangs quickly clabbered the kobolds, knocking Von unconscious, then joined Yorat and I in taking down the spellcasters. With Von Man left standing, I commanded him to surrender, and ordered him to start talking if he wanted to survive. He babbled on uselessly about the cult of the dragon, but failed to come up with any information valuable enough for us to let such a dangerous villain live, as so we released the unconscious kobold instead. On high alert for a rearguard ambush, we were mostly unsurprised when we came under attack as we passed through a narrow path between two bluffs. Brick climbed the bluff to battle for men to the south, while Gangs and Tigan lapped up the bluff to fight for to the north, and Tolarin, Yorat and I ran the gauntlet to face to guard Drakes. After a hard-fought fight, we were victorious against this rear guard unit. We gathered some of their distinctive uniforms and, after a short rest, continued on to the raiders' nearby camp. The camp lay nestled in a steep-sided horseshoe ribbon, with a few dozen bone and hide heads of various size, and two timber guard towers erected, one at the front, and one to the rear, near a cave entrance. Using a twin spell of invisibility, Tigan and I reconnoitered the camp, walking unseen amongst the various mercenaries, and so cultists praised Tiamat's glory with right hands raised in a close salute. We also located a tent with eight prisoners, and Laotian Erlantar, the missing monk, tied to a stake. A large officer's tent to the rear of the camp was well guarded, but security throughout the rest of the camp seemed otherwise lax. Invisibly, Tigan and I peeked into the cave entrance. We could hear activity inside, but the cavern was much too large to explore quickly, so instead we made a plan to rescue the monk. While I created a distraction, Tigan slipped out invisibly, with the captive in disguise. Within minutes, we heard the raiders raise their alarm, but by that time, we were already headed back to Fandalin. The rescued monk, Laotian Erlantar, was reunited with his brethren, and we were paid our reward. Laotian informed us of his plan to seek help in Secomber from Ontar Frume, a Tormit paladin, and bade us to return to the camp to gather more intelligence on the raiders, offering us each a purse of 150 gold coins. After a long rest, we will purchase potions of healing and head out a first light, in Beshaba's name. Kla tubera de nikto amen.
the 18th of Chess, 1492 when we arrived, the raiders' camp was mostly abandoned. Stinking kobold heads were burning in a heap. Only a scattered few tents and the two guard towers remained erected. Jorad discerned that the main body of the force had traveled west in a wagon caravan. A few kobold stragglers remained, so we questioned them, but they had no intelligence to offer. We continued into the cave, and inside we came upon a quartet of draconic guard, armed with scimitars. They hacked and attacked with fanatical pack tactics, but were undone at once by our rambunctious cant gumption. Jorat led us past his fresh corpses, down a set of natural stairs, to a moist cavern carpeted with fungal groves. I took the lead, and as I strode through the Mycobiota I was stunned by the ferocious tendrils of a necratic fungal colony. I killed one with acid, but more appeared. The other cans came to my aid, blasting and hacking at the malicious mushrooms, and soon we had broken through yet another line of the cult's confounding defenses. Next, we entered a large cavern, its ceiling carpeted with bats. Startled by a sudden sound, the bats flew around us in a blinding cloud, obscuring an attack from a swarm of sturges. Gangs smashed a pair of blood-swollen beasts as Tigan punctured a stirch like a balloon, and brick stabbed two more, while Jurat hellishly rebuked one into an acrid vapor. I found a wound wearied Gangs through the bat cloud, and quickly healed some of his injuries with Bashaba's blessing. We finished off the remaining sturges and carried on. We came to a room with three catch drake pups and their cobalt handler, some of whom had wings, to our surprise. Keen to stop the kobolds before they might release their pet drakes, I charged in and took one down. The three winged kobolds took flight, and dropped tracks on Yorat. Break through javelins, taken down to flying foes, while Tolarin darted the third one dead just as quickly. Gangs rushed the three earthbound kobolds and ended them in a wink. Pleased with our quick work, we took a short rest, and could hear the bus settle back down in their roosting cavern. I took the lead next, and spotted another kobold, whom I quickly charmed into docility. As the other cans made their way casually to Vardus, someone accidentally tripped a trap. Beshaba praised, our magically friendly kobold was able to cover for our rackets, and we continued forward unmolested. Yorat, Tolarin, and Gangs went first into the next cave where they found two barely human warriors and gangsters fearsome nemesis, Lang de Drosa Cianvrat, the dragon cult's champion. Lang de Drosa greeted gangs with a laugh of mocking recognition, but I was confident this fight would not end so well for Cianvrat. Brick took down one of the warriors with his trusty axehu, while Tigan and I finished off the other, jerking the curtain for the main event. Lang de Drosa Cianvrat, Lightly armored with the inky flayed hide of a defeated and desecrated dragonborn, stood alone with spear and seed against the full force of the fellowship of Kants. Gangs attacked with fists and feet of fury. Brick lashed out with Talon, famed sword of the Black Hawk. I assailed with magic missiles. Tigan mocked viciously, and gave great inspiration to Yorat, who shattered with enhanced might. With a final swing of Lightbringer, Tolarin ultimately brought Cianvrat down in a masterpiece of violent teamwork. The other cans began to tie up a unconscious Cianvrat and the bite humiliating punishments for the villain. 
examining the room, we could see it had been cleaned up and made into a dragon card shrine, with abstract carvings of dragons in the walls and a dominant image of a five-headed dragon emerging from a volcano. On the floor, there was a fine wooden chest, inlaid with silver and mortar of pearl. Tolaring suspected that the chest was trapped. I picked the lock and confirmed that he was correct, a hidden mechanism was triggered, and Siddiq mist suddenly came pouring into the chamber from subtle holes in the walls, disguised within the carvings. When the mist cleared, Yorat needed healing, but Tianvrat was irrevocably dead. Inside the chest, we recovered a string of pearls, a gold and sapphire ring, and a pouch of polished stones. Continuing on, we found a rope ladder. Ganks ascended, and picked his head out from under a carpet into a room occupied by a suddenly confused female Havelvan cult officer. Tigan and I both misty stepped up into the chamber as the officer binds her halberd in alarm and cast a spell, surrounding herself with squad of soldiers and a nimbus of malevolent spirits. Yorat climbed into the room and, casting shudder, took out half the defenders. Ganks charged forward and knocked down another line of fighters. Tigan cast a thunderwave and finished off another guard, and the spellcasting officer. By the time Tolarin had climbed the rope to join us, Yorat and I were already fighting the final foe, so he took on the peaceful task of searching the room and bodies. We recovered 120 gold pieces worth of assorted gems, and from eight of the cultists, fine scimitar scabbards decorated with dragon motifs, worth five gold pieces each. On a table, we found assorted notes identifying the dead officer as, wearer of purple, Frula Mondat, and maps detailing the dragon cult's recent movements, and hinting at their future plans. We found a hopelessly drunken cultist sleeping in what appeared to have formerly been the raider's loot vault. Judging by the handful of scattered coins and gems we found in the dirt there, sixteen gold pieces worth in all. We went back down the hall in Mondat's chambers, through the shrine room, and into a large, warm, humid cavern, occupied by a number of cultists and a pair of their trained drakes. Tolarin and Tigan quickly killed the charging drakes. Ten, we surrounded the remaining cultists and finished them off. Just as we thought the battle had ended, flaming projectors came raining down at us, thrown by a small group of kobolds concealed on a high ledge. Ganks cunningly caught one of their incendiary devices, and hurled it back at them. Your attentagon's spellcraft put a quick end to the kobolds, but suddenly another attacker revealed itself. A roper, suspended from the ceiling, lashed out with its tendrils, ensnaring brick and ganks. I used my sorcery to embiggen them both, and in their enlarged form, they were able to best the beast. We found three black dragoners in the chamber. Understanding the obvious danger they present, I suggested we kill them immediately, but my cameras objected. I laid hands upon one of theirs, and whispered a prayer to Bashaba for guidance as I channeled electricity from my palm. The egg was impervious to the shock, so I took this as a sign that it was Bashaba's will to allow them to stay alive. For now. Before leaving the cavern, Ganks, Tolarin, and Tigan chose to feed and adapt the three-catch drake pups we had found earlier. They are surprisingly docile, and have taken to their new masters. We packed up the dragoners, the pet drakes, and our filthy cells into our wagon and, 
pulled by the tireless power of pestilence, made it back to Fandalin before sunset, by the grace of Bashaba. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The 19th of chess, 1492. Our Matle Fellowship left Fandalin this morning by pestilence drone wagon, ultimately headed for Secomber, to meet up with Laotian Erlantar and Ontarfrum. Vitus, we have brought a black dragon egg, stowed in a wool-lined barrel. The other two dragoners, we have left at the manor, under the care of Yek and Drup. Tegen, Tolarin, and Gans were sadly forced to leave behind their pet guard drakes, Lemon Pepper Freestyle, Lizanardo da Vinci, and Larry. Today is the spring equinox, so we have begun our journey under a most favorable auspice. Tonight, we camp at our usual spot at the Coney Gap Crossroad. Beshaba Wellen, the journey to Secomber will take no more than a brace of ten days. Klaatu berade nikto amen. The 10th of Tarsach, 1492. Not much has happened along the road these past 20 days. We passed through the ghost town of Coniberry, and by the 25th of Chess, we had made it to Tribor, a lively crossroads frontier town, full of the hustle and bustle of roaming merchants, caravans, and other travelers. From there, we turned south onto the Lone Road, and three days later, we were in Westbridge, a humble farming village. Three more days and we had made it to Red Large, a vice stop located at the intersection of three trails. From there, we took the Kern Road southeast, and traveled three days to Womford, a tiny village on the banks of the river the Sarin. Four days east on the Iron Road brought us to Luvin, a sleepy crossroads town, which we left two nights ago via the Secomber Trail. Tomorrow, we will reach the town of Secomber, Beshaba Willen, Klaatu Berade Nikto Amen. The 11th of Tarsach, 1492. We arrived in Secomber this afternoon. After asking around for Ontarfrom, we were directed to a pair of black handlers, an auspiciously named watering hole said to be favored by the Tormit Paladin. Once we got there, it was not long before Froom Squire Blind arrived to greet us. Impressed by the order of the gauntlet credentials climbed by gangs and brick, Blind introduced us to his master without further delay. Ushered into a private room, we met the members of an allied resistance to the dragon cult menace. Ontar Froom, a hard-drinking ginger-bearded man, represented the order of the gauntlet. Our recently rescued monk acquaintance, Laotian Erlantar, represented the Harpers. Raidot's Emerald Enclave was also allied to the cause, we were told, though none of their number were present. Ontar from one saw a fellowship to infiltrate a merchant caravan that he suspects is carrying the dragon cart's stolen loot, which they are trying to smuggle out of Baldur's Gate. Yorat has agreed to forge a document, given as credible cover as members of the local Secomber Teamsters Union. So we should be able to set out on this quest tomorrow, Beshaba Willen, Klaatu Berade Nikto Amen. The 12th of Tarsach, 1492. This morning, before we left Secomber, Laosin Erlantar inducted our entire group into the Harpers, and gave us all ten badges bearing the group's moon and harp insignia. Then, he took us to the ducks, where he bid us farewell. Fortified with our forged guild documents, and disguised in officious striped guildsman capes, we have boarded a river barge headed west. 
we should reach the hamlet of Yulkon on the morrow, and arrive in the town of Dagger for the day after. Beshabawelin. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The 14th of Tarsach, 1492. We arrived in Daggerford on schedule, and quickly made our way through the bustle of merchants to find the local teamster's office. The guildmaster, a human male by the name of Celebon, assessed our document and assigned us to tasks in a manner that seemed to betray an all too common human racial prejudice. Brick, Jorat, and Tigen received plum positions. Brick was made overseer, while Jorat and Tigan were hired as personal bodyguards to a pair of merchants, Oinevenmor and Samardak the Hopper. Meanwhile, Ganks, Tolarin, and I were offered lesser rules. I considered casting a spell on Celebon to change his mind, but ultimately I chose not to risk blowing my cover. This mundane jobs are mere subterfuge, after all, and at least I was assigned to guard duty, not scullery labor, like the unlucky monks. Today, we will replenish our stores of healing potions, and tomorrow we will head south as guards and laborers for an eleven-wagon caravan. Three of the wagon teams have already aroused our suspicions, as we recognize a few familiar faces here from the raiders' camp. By the will of Beshaba, may we bring swift and dire misfortune to these dragon cult fiends, Kla tu berade nikto amen. The 18th of Tarsach, 1492. Fourth day out from Daggerford, and we have only covered 60 miles at our tedious wagon train pace, nevertheless. The beasts of burden will need an entire day of rest before long. A comely pair of twin sisters joined our camp in the evening, and before long Tigan had convinced them both to sneak off for a strenuous slap and tickle, taste the pickle session. I have a feeling the Bart is going to be ridden hard by those many eaters. He too might need a day to recover. I have been busy proselytizing to the merchant Samardak about Lady Doom. And how appeasing the maid of misfortune is the only way to avoid bad luck. To better demonstrate the truth of this, I have been magically mending his broken crackery, so that he may witness and testify to the blessings of Beshaba. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The 21st of Tarsach, 1492. Day 7 of our journey south, and the weather has grown cold and wet. The caravan is camped outside the Golden Urn, a roadside inn, just south of Wayne. Some inconsiderate bastards have rented the entire premises for a private party of four, and refuse to share shelter with anyone from our caravan. Even the barn has been barred from our use. Obviously, I will not stand for this sort of nonsense. I have stealthily ensconced myself in an unoccupied room upstairs, and have locked the door. If anyone wants to come in here looking for a fight, it will be their last taste of bad luck. By Beshaba I swear it. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The 25th of Tarsach, 1492. The rain has been unrelenting until today, when we awoke to a misty moisty morning, and a landscape blanketed in fag and fresh fungus. As we began to stare, the mushrooms crushed underfoot emitted black spores and, more strangely, Haunting moons of agony. Petrified by cowardice, the merchants wanted to remain in place, but we could all see that the mushrooms were growing at a rapid pace. My fellowship of Kans understood from experience that, if we were going to escape this fiercely thick and fungal jungle, we needed to act fast.
together, we began to kick and smash and hack and blast a puff of merciless murder through the miserably moaning mushrooms. By the end of our day's mycocidal campaign, many of the more sensitive soul among us, including sweet gangs and tender lead tolarin, were quite shaken by this antifangal holocaust. Personally, I just pray to Beshaba that the next in the fine serves a good roasted mushroom soup. Kla tu berade nikto amen. Greengrass, 1492. We have taken an extra day of rest, just west of Dragonspear Castle, to celebrate the Feast of Greengrass. As a Beshaban, this feast day holds no significance for me. I am unfamiliar with the customs. It seems as though someone has given Tigan a well-used horse, so perhaps that is part of the tradition. A roguish-looking gnomish-looking female appears to have taken an interest in our group, and like us, she seems to be interested in the suspect wagons too. I will keep my eye on her. Do the rest of the caravan members are mingling today, with many of the travelers exchanging gifts of wildflowers and sharing polite pleasantries. The crew from the suspect wagons remain dull and keep to themselves, lending further confirmation to our suspicions. By Beshaba's will, their lives will soon be our playthings, Kla tu berade nikto amen. The third of Mirtul, 1492. After long days of bloodless monotony, we found ourselves a fight today. We were just south of the crossroads, where we turned off the tradeway and onto the coastway towards Baldur's Gate. Some hapless hobgoblins had a merchant wagon pinned down on the trail when our fellowship brought doom upon them. Brick commanded the rest of the caravan guards to hold back, while the six cans advanced to clear the brigands from the road. The hobgoblins, dressed in wolf fetish gear, were well armed, but proved no match for our crew. After the slaughter, they allowed the rescued merchant to join the safety of our caravan. Tigan sold the man his recently acquired draft horse, since the merchant's own animals had been slain. We left the chart and hacked corpses of the Haugablins on the roadside as a baleful omen to peaceful travelers and malevolent brigands alike. Blessed Beshaba, thank you for allowing our fellowship to be the instrument of your will. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The 7th of Mirtul, 1492. A couple of days ago, I introduced myself to the roguish gnome, Jam Naglim Silver. I casually mentioned that we appeared to have similar interests. I could tell she knew I was referring to the suspect wagons, and she seemed friendly, but she was not ready to talk freely. Today, Mistress Grimshilver joined us at a breakfast, warning us to be wary of the cultist wagoneers. We shared our information with her about the loot wagons, and she shared her information on one of their covertly tattooed members, a red wizard of Fay. This news of alliance between the dragon cart and the red wizard spared us to seek out more intelligence. While Brick and Tigan orchestrated separate distractions, I turned gangs and myself invisible. Together, alongside Tolarin with his shadow arts and Game Silver displaying her own skills of stealth, the snack amongst the suspect wagons. Tolarin and Yamna climbed into the loot wagons, conclusively confirming their contents. Gangs and I shadowed the men, Hoping to overhear some vital information, do all we could glean was the name of the wizard, Asbarajas. Piece by piece, we will chip away at their plans, and bring these villains to their ultimate doom, in Beshaba's name, 
Klaatu berade nikto amen. Date of Myrtle, 1492. Violence on the road today. A pair of horses got picked off the line by giant spiders and a pair of ether cups. We pursued the creatures into the woods and killed them all. We must be especially vigilant as we pass through this infamously dangerous region, known as the Troll Claws. During today's skirmish, while using my sorcery to enlarge brick, Lady Doom sent me a mystic omen, a cloud of fog in which I was enveloped for an hour. I shall meditate on this latest portent, so that I might discern its significance, seeking Beshaba's guidance. Klaatu berade nikto amen. The fitting of Myrtle 1492. After five weary days of travel, our caravan has miraculously passed through the troll clouds without attack. Thanks ever be to Beshaba. As a bonus, fatal misfortune has befallen one of the cultists, Lady Doom be praised. We awoke this morning to the happy news of murder, a cultist wagon crewman evidently slain by short sword. The other cultists tried to blame our fellowship for the killing. But their claims were laughably implausible. Indeed, suspicions began to fall upon them, the dragon-loving fools. The mysterious and usually worthless Asbara Justin spoke up, helping to calm the scene, and most everyone agreed that the matter would be for the guest to judge. Nevertheless, the cultists now look upon our fellowship with undisguised hatred. Regardless of who killed their crewmen, there is now one fewer dragon cultist in the world. And for that we must praise Beshaba. Klaatu berade nikto amen. The 20th of Myrtle, 1492. A brace of Pritons attacked the caravan today. We spotted them in the air, and Yorat smote one with an eldritch blast as it dove straight at him. The other swooped in and instantly killed one of the horses. I blasted the first with magic missiles. And suddenly Beshaba bestowed a wild magic boon upon me that allowed me to presumably shrink in size momentarily, and teleport inside the throat of the beast, so that I might attack it from within. Seconds later, I blasted a hole through its skull and emerged from the beast victorious. The other periton lay dead at my companion's feet. I recovered a fine amethyst worth five gold pieces, and I have taken a pair of periton antlers as a trophy. To Aner Beshaba, Klaatu berade nikto amen. The 26th of Myrtle, 1492. We have arrived in Baldur's Gate. City custom dictates that caravans must unload upon entry, and reload at the departing gate. While Jorat worked on forging new teamster documents for our fellowship, and Tigan located the local caravan master, Ardred Briefer Hugh. Tolarin and I invisibly and stealthily followed the cultist's cargo to a warehouse near the basilisk gate. Yorat presented his new forgeries to Master Briefer Hugh, securing our employment with the High Road Charter Company caravan. Six wagons headed south on the coastway to Beregost. Our mission continues, and as a bonus, we will earn 15 gold pieces each in wages for the 10-day journey. Beshaba be praised. Klaatu berade nikto amen. The 29th of Myrtle, 1492. Third day on the coastway to Beregost, our caravan stumbled into an ambush. Arrows assailed us from the woods ahead, grazing gangs and myself. Yorat and Tigan spotted a pair of Orsish archers, and quickly slew the two of spellcraft. Ogres brandishing clubs joined the fray, and more orcs, 
but together our fellowship defeated these foolhardy foes. Everyone in the caravan now hails us as heroes, save the cultist crew, whose every look upon us sees with bitterness and frustration. The praise I can do without, but the cultist sire, I savor like sweet tantranty. Blessed Beshaba, thank you for choosing me as the instrument of your merciless power, Klaatu Berade Nikto Amen. The first of Kitorn, 1492. We have arrived at the Cranat Roadhouse, an obscure history and roadwork camp on the coastway near the Cloakwood, halfway between Baldur's Gate and Beregost. The superintendent here is a barely half-orc who goes by the auspicious name of Buklak. We were instructed to unload our wagons here, under the pretense of security. I had suspicions about this, so I rendered myself magically invisible and, by the grace of Beshaba, locked myself in a secure strong room alongside the cultist's ill-gotten booty. Soon Yorat came to the door, and we conversed briefly. He spoke of supping on turnip porridge, and a communal bedchamber on the main floor being signed to our group. I told him of my situation, and vowed to keep watch on the loot inside the vault. A few hours later, I heard the unmistakable footfalls of gangs in the adjacent storeroom, whispering my name rather loudly as he felt his way in darkness. His noise alerted the ill-tempered roadhouse cook, but gangs managed to convince the graf servant that he was there innocently hunting rats. The two ten left the storeroom together, and I was once again alone. I continued my sleepless watch well into the night, until I heard a creak, a clank, ten hissing whispers and the blaze of torchlight. Eight lizard folk emerged from a trapdoor hidden beneath a dummy chest. I magically disguised myself as Buklak, but I stayed hidden as I watched the reptilian crew take all the cutters slowed down the hatch. Once their torchlight had faded, I pursued, and reconnoitered some distance down at Wiston wet tunnel before deciding to head back to the vault for a half-night's rest. Lady Doom, thank you for the twists and turns of fate that have led me to this moment. Without your hand in my life, I would not have discovered this plot. May I always see the gifts in the misfortunes you bring, Klaatu Berade Nikto Amen. The second of Kitorn, 1492. I awoke to the sound of the strongroom lock scraping against its latch, and as the heavy chinkless door opened, I turned myself invisible before Buklag Valgdin. He took in the view of the half-emptied storeroom, and noted the absence of the cultist's crates with obvious satisfaction. As I squeezed invisibly out the door past the orc blew that off, I heard him mutter to himself that lizard folk do good work, incontestably confirming that the superintendent was in on the scheme. I rejoined my companions and recounted what I had seen and heard. Together, we quickly searched Buklak's room, but found nothing of note, so we made our way back downstairs to head for the tunnel. As we made our way through the courtyard, we saw the cards being repacked with cargo. In place of the missing lot, the usual salon cultists were packing roadwork supplies into their cards with smugly pleasant looks on their dead faces. Evidently, they thought their plan was working like Neverwinshian water clockwork. Though I insisted we should go after the loot without die, there was some debate about perhaps continuing to follow the cultists. I have agreed to stay one more night, so that I might get a proper rest, and one way or another, we will head out tomorrow.
Mighty maid of misfortune, I beseech you for guidance in these trying times. Let your capricious hand lead me down the path of fate, and grant me the wisdom to interpret the signs that you send. Show me the way to navigate the treacherous waters of chance and circumstance, that I may find my footing amidst the chaos. I trust in your wisdom and power, O Lady Doom, and I offer unto you my unwavering devotion and gratitude for your constant vigilance. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The third of Kitorn, 1492. As a crowd of caravanas, cultists, and can smell about the courtyard this morning, I made my move to surreptitiously slip into the storeroom, to pick the lock to the strong room, so that we might make our way into the tunnel and after the loot. Tigan supplied a distraction by rousing the air of one of the cultists, a deformed old veteran with a chip on his shoulder. Suddenly, the mood shifted as the ugly cultist drew his blade on the bard. Tigan sought to back him down through fear, but the veteran's response was to fight, not flee. From the other room, I heard Gangs try to break Vadefei, but the moment he tried to intervene, the other cultists drew their swords and joined the attack. I quickly picked the lock to the strong room, and threw open the trap door, then ran back to join the melee. Buklak and the cultists' captain, Larion Kimblade, held back the crowd of bystanders. Ardred Briefer haven't Yamnagim Silver cheered from the sidelines as the cans squared off against the cultists. At long last, we had license to bewitch and butcher this cultist crew into utter oblivion. After, amongst the carnage of cultist corpses, we confronted Buklak about his part in their plans. He claimed to be merely a middleman, which seemed plausible. We left him with the understanding that his continued existence was a gift that we had given him, and that in turn he now owed us a favor, a debt to be repaid at a future time of our choosing. We took our leave of caravan master Breiferhef, discarded our teamster uniforms, and headed down the secret tunnel. After twisting and turning through the long, slimy passage, we eventually emerged in a dense stump of trees in a buggy forest. Gangs spotted the lizard folk trails in the mud, their footprints deepened under heavy load. We followed these trails for hours until, near an evening, we came to a rustic campsite on a patch of drier land, with four wicker lintos and three dugout canoes. Just then, we heard the sounds of all splashing, and voices on the water, as we saw three more canoes, and nine lizard folk paddlers, heading towards the camp. We scattered to hide, but Brick was caught out in the open, so he brazenly waved to the reptilians. Casting a comprehend languages spell, I joined gangs in understanding the lizard speech, and overheard their sibilant chatter, mocking their dragon-miller cultist employers, and seeding about their bullywook enemies. Gangs, in his guileless wisdom, strode forth and greeted the lizard folk in a spirit of friendship. He informed them that we were not cultists, but that we needed a guide to take our group to them. I followed the monk's lead, and offered them my recently acquired amethyst bobble, appealing to their evident love of shiny trinkets. The lizard folk were well pleased with our peaceful overtures. They drew us a map, taught guns their trailway markers, and invited us to spend the night at their camp. Mistress of Misfortune Hear my prayer of gratitude. Your capricious nature has led me to the unlikely hospitality of a tribe of lizard folk, who welcomed me with open arms.
I thank you for this unexpected turn of events. May your blessings continue to guide me through the twists and turns of fate. And may I always find a way to thrive in the face of adversity. Klaatu beradenik to amen. The 4th of Kitorn, 1492. We set out and down in three canoes, with a lizard folk scout named Snapsha as our guide. We were portaging our way through the swamp on food when Snapsha suddenly froze, seeming to sense an unseen adversary. As we scrambled for positions of tactical advantage, a hideous swamp finger up beside me. Our fellowship surrounded the shambling mount, and together we mowed down to march in a moment. Snapsha was clearly thrilled by our martial prowess. As we continued onward, our lizard friend Gruchati, lamenting in broken common about his scale of tribe's shameful agents with the Bolivuk battalion of chieftain Farblex Splattergu, evidently, Snapsha and his scale the lizard fall of Sloan to lash out against Farblex's framen. Yorat suggested an alliance between our Kantfalos and his scale tribe in confronting Farblex and the cult. But Snapsha was non-committal. We had abandoned our canoes, and were walking on firm but muddy ground when suddenly the earth began to pull down upon our feet, as Snapsha had clumsily led us into a quagmire. Beshaba smiled upon Tigan and Brick, who nimbly avoided the natural trap, but Black Bess sought to test the rest of our group, myself included. Tiny Tolarin disappeared from view instantly, and Gangs had sunk down to his tits, while shame-faced Snapsha, Yorat, and I were stuck in knee-deep. The five companions were sinking at an alarming pace. I misty stepped out of the mire, and searched for a long branch to assist my foundering companions. Tigan flung his bedroll out to Yorat, but the warlock slipped under the mug. Brick diving after Tolarin, a rope tied around his waist and anchored to a tree, as I fished around with my stick for gangs. Snapsha scrambled free, and tried to help Tigan rescue Yorat. I felt Gangs grab hold, and with all my might, I began to slowly haul him up. Suddenly, an enormous crocodile latched onto me with its powerful bite, and in return earned an instant hellish rebuke, a blast of burning hands, and a quick death. Another crack attacked Snapsha, while Tigan blasted a third with a thunderwave. Brick emerged from the mire with Tolarin, while I kept trying to pull Gangs out. Together, Brick and Tolarin hurled Javelin and darts to kill the remaining cracks, and finally, we pulled Gangs and Yorat out to safety. Exhausted, we stopped for the night on the driest bit of ground we could find. Snapsha, impressed with our actions and embarrassed by his own failures, treats our group, and most especially Brick, with obvious admiration. Blessed Beshaba, in this moment of respite as we set up camp, I find solace in knowing that the mire and the crocodiles were manifestations of your ominous presence, and it is through your divine grace that I have emerged stronger and more resolute. May I continue to walk the path of adversity with unwavering faith, embracing the challenges that lay ahead. Kla tu berade nikto amen. The Fifth of Kitorn, 1492 as we continued toward what Snapjah called Castle Neritar, he assured us that he would do all the talking when we came to the guards. Sure enough, we soon caught sight of a six lizardman unit who greeted Snapjah by name. He vouched for our prowess, and urged his lizard followers that now was the time to overthrow the Bullivooks. 
Brick made menacing gestures to impress the lizard folk with his martial puissance, but this only confused them. Fortunately, Ganks was able to smooth things over with soothing draconic words, and they agreed to land as boots, and rouse the rest of the tribe to revolution post-haste. After a brief paddle, they arrived at a sandy landing at the foot of a dilapidated old keep surrounded by rustic outbuildings. Together, they walked past an animal stockade and lizard folk longhouses to the south, avoiding the bullywooks splashing around the square domed house to the north, and made our way to the Barbican entrance. There, they were confronted by bullywook guards and their dire battletoads, but Snapjack flashed some token, and we were allowed to pass. We casually carried on into the keep, through a gauntlet of bullywook and lizard folk minions, into a room of tethered guard drakes. Brick mistook the beasts as friendly, and they pounced upon him when he got within their reach. We were forced to put them down, and I am sorry to say that they suffered horribly at our hands. Thanks to Beshaba, their house of pain fell silent before they roused interest from the keep's other nefarious residents. Tolarin, Brick, and I continued into the main keep, through a hall with a set of ascending stairs, into a private chamber, where we found the familiar form of the Tyan wizard, Asbara Jazz, now clad openly in scarlet robes, his bolt and tattooed pate uncovered. Jazz took one confounded look at us, and instantly vanished, do I know not if it were through some sort of teleportation, or a mere trick of invisibility. I tried to coax him to reappear, but the coward did not respond to my entreaties. I wondered where the other cans had gotten to. Tigan had joined us, and was farming through an old book in Asbara's room, and Brick was fiddling with some disgusting green thing he found in a box, but Tolarin had seemingly wandered off. Just then, Gangs arrived to tell us that Yorat and Tolarin went into a room to the west. In the future, we really must try to keep our wandering warlock in sight at all times. I found Tolarin and Yorat in a mess hall, mingling with a dozen low-level cultists who were watched by a table of four cultist supervisors. All eyes went to me as I entered, but I stared down every little man in the room until they all were cowed into silence. Ten gangs entered, and the sound of their curious chatter and sheepish murmuring began to fill the room again. When these dozen enders finished their meals and left, we tried to bluff our way past the remaining four supervisors, but they were not having it. Impulsively, Tolarin tried to brazenly dash across their table into the kitchen. But he only succeeded in igniting a melee. Von Kaltist charged through a barrage of my magic missiles and Briggs javelins to nearly cut me in half with his sword. I was spared only by the magical fortitude of the breastplate of Tergon, and the invincible will of Bashaba. Tigan and Snapjack barricaded the door against returning reinforcements, while the others battled the fearsome Kaltist buses. I knew if I took another hit, I would be finished so I misty stepped into the relative safety of the kitchen, into the midst of a pair of common scullery drudges, a dwarven cook, and three bullywook fighters. Instantly, I turned invisible, and waited to take them by surprise. Out in the mess hall, I could hear Tigan cheering gangs as he killed Volfo, and knocked another on his ass. Bullywooks and lizardfolk forces had broken in and joined the fight, but the lizardfolk fought for our side as true allies. Thanks be to Beshaba. I reappeared, and roasted the three bullywooks with a blast of burning hands. Let it be noted, I have never smelled anything so delicious in my life. In the other room, 
Brick chapped von Kaltestein half with the talent of Tresender, and Tagan magically charmed another. While our lizard folk allies finished off the last. We let the dwarven cook, farm Tarmzit, and his two kitchen helpers go free, and questioned the remaining charmed cultist. The cultist, a man called Gramplev, named a captain born grey and the tyrant wizard as the man in command of the castle, and the numerous bullywook and powerful lizard folk forces. He added that born grey is aloof, and never man them at the castle. Asked about the loot, he said all treasure is taken downstairs. Knowing that Tegan's charm spell would end within an hour, we sent Gramplev away to quell the chaos outside, and our fellowship took a short rest during the ensuing calm. I am pleased to report, the roasted bullywook tasted as good as it smelled. We headed down a set of stairs, smooth at first but getting rougher as we descended, twisting and turning down to the dungeon level, emerging into a large, moist cavern. To the east, bullywook footprints could be seen in the mud. Straight ahead, a large puddle of acidic water covered the floor. To the west, lizard folk, bullywook, and booted footprints led onward. The inscrutable monks chose the path less traveled, and scurried through a small hole in the wall they had located, past the puddle. Safe for Yorat, we all followed their lead into an adjacent cavern, and soon discovered it to be the breeding ground for a dangerous species of grails. Tolaris' blows of mace and fist were potent against the creatures, but my firebolt's efficacy seemed dampened. Brick's talent sliced through and was like a hot knife through rotty butter. I blasted another with Beshaba's sacred flame, trusting her holy radiance to be more powerful than mere fire. Tigan dispatched another with his trusty rapier, but the acid seemed to degrade his blade. Finally, Yorat joined the fight just in time for our victory. As his eldritch blasts lit the scene, I noticed the glint of gemstones in the muddy water, a pair of fine carnelians worth fifty gold pieces each, five lovely pyrdats worth one hundred gold apiece, a stunning spinel worth two hundred gold, a remarkable topaz worth four hundred, and an amazing yellow sapphire worth six hundred. Then, we doubled back through the hole, and followed the world tracks that led to the west, until we arrived at the bottom of a toro ledge, tapped by a wooden crane that dangled her up. With nimbleness and know-how, we all made our way up, into a misty chamber with three branching paths, west, southwest, and south. The mysterious mists were seeping in from the southern passage, so I was drawn by my curiosity in this direction. In the next chamber, a large, ominous cavern, I discovered a deep, mist-shrouded lake, with what appeared to be an island just ten feet from where I stood. Caused by fate, I jumped into the water, hoping to make another lucrative discovery of gems, or some such booty. My anticipation turned to agony as I was beset by an army of hungry, giant frogs, biting from every direction, pulling me under the water. I misty stepped onto the island, and blasted magic missiles at a huge frog with a tolerant-shaped burger in his throat, killing the beast, and scattering its fellows. As bats swirled overhead, Tigan spared me a healing vort, as I had been gravely wounded. But suddenly, the frost leapt once more to the surprise attack, and at that moment, everything went black. Moments later, revived again by Tegan's healing vort, I weakly witnessed my fellows fell the final frogs. Victorious, but with no spoils to show for it, save a heartless and on luck from Beshaba, we took a short rest, and healed our wounds as best we could. Ten, 
we carried on to the south, around Damanus Lake, until we came to a set of slippery steps to the east. Tempting fate, we headed down the stairs to discover less than a handful of pathetic bullywogs, impotently armed with spears. I give them to much honor to even mention them in these pages. Needless to say, they are no more. We backtracked our way to the misty cavern once more, and took the western passage into another chamber with mist laying three feet thick, obscuring the ground. Littolarin discerned the drag marks and trails which seemed to confirm that the treasure had been brought here. Through the shifting mist, we could also see carved marks in the floor, twinkling with a faint arcane vomer. Learned Urat informs us that this was surely the markings of a teleportation circle. The treasure, it appeared, passed through here to an unknown destination, and we needed to find the trigger word to activate the circle for ourselves. We left this teleportation chamber, and went down the passage to the south first, and a set of stairs, coming to a putrid place of worship for the Bullywook faithful. Suddenly, we were assailed by a magical onslaught of freezing weather, and confronted by a small army of Bullywooks ready to attack. Tagan shattered tree that as he misty stepped into the midst of several more. I slipped on the icy steps as I killed one with magic missiles, and Urat fell to while he obliterated two more with a shatter spell of his own. Their spellcasting leader, Farblex Splattergu, turned the stone at the bottom of the stairs to mud, as a giant crocodile rushed down the steps at me, biting me nearly to death. I misty stepped away from the crack, and cast darkness to try to foil Splattergu's spells. Ganks and Solarin waded bravely into the lightless void, spitting lightning and ninja fighting, respectively, while Brick threw a javelin at the crack. Spattergus hibernal hazard vanished, but he soon replaced it with a magical terrain of treacherous briars that surrounded me. I killed a bullywook with fire from where I sat, while the crack and Yorat exchanged attacks. Tigan attacked the crack too, with another shudder spell, and gave us all sucker with his soothing voice. The chaotic melee raged on around me as I felt my breastplate begging to warm most uncomfortably. More of Splattergus malicious magic. I successfully commanded him in the name of Bashaba to surrender, and Tolarin moved to finish him off, while the rest of the cans turned their attention to the crack. Brick finally decapitated the beast, but Splattergus sneakily squirmed his way into the racks and escaped. Captain Brick led us into the next room, evidently Splattergus' private chamber, furnished with the usual bullywook fifth, plus a desk and a trunk. When Brick opened the trunk, he set off a trap, clay pads came crashing from the ceiling to the floor, filling the air with psychotropic spores. A temporary madness ensued, but thankfully some of us were unaffected, and for the rest, the effects were of eventually. When I came to my senses, I was back in the underground lake cavern, tied up and thoroughly soaked, but safely among my canty companions. Utterly exhausted, we returned to Splattergus' chamber for a long rest. Blessed Beshaba, I am glad this day is finally over. We have survived your merciless trials, and are all the stronger for it. Klaatu berade nikto amen. The 6th of Kitorn, 1492. We returned to the main floor. Signs of the aftermath of battle were evident all around. Cultist bodies lay slain inside. Why smoke rose in scattered columns outside? We headed to the nearest tower, now being used as a maiden pit. Tolarin leapt first, over the garbage to the stairs, 
but was immediately ensnared and pulled into the mag by an otyuk tentacle. Gangs jumped in to assist his brother, while Tigan mocked the filthy aberration. I slipped into the mag on a failed jump, but avoided being attacked. Brick mounted the stairs, ascended, and hurled his javelin into the fray. Yurat added his eldritch blasts to the fight, while Tolarin and Gangs battled on. I clambered out and onto the stairs, just in time to see Brick dive heroically from the top of the flight, down onto the grotesque Gulgutra. As Yurat cast Shudder, and Tolarin beat it with mace and fist and foot, the beast surrendered, and retreated back into the filth whence it came. Continuing up the stairs, we came to a closed hatch, marked with dwarvish runes. With magic, I translated the markings, which warned of fearsome and inside, who surely would not have the knowledge we sought, so we retreated, and moved instead to the central keep. On the second floor, we found a well-appointed sleeping chamber, with a squawking board, which I quickly, and permanently, silenced. We raided the room of its valuables, finding two hundred gold, two hundred silver, and ten stones worth one hundred gold each, under a loose floorboard, while a few of the other cans outfitted themselves in some of the fine haberdashery found here. We ascended another flight of stairs to the third floor, discovering the ancient observatory, which contained a complicated telescopic apparatus, and four gargoyles that stood watch on the chamber. They came to life as we entered, and immediately, the nastiest of these stone sentinels spewed a blast of acid in our direction. After a brief melee, the guardian gargoyles all lay in smashed and shattered ruins at our feet. Learned Yorat and sagacious Tiganten investigated the telescopic device, identifying the contraption as the famed Farseer of Ilusk. Through its intricate lenses, they could discern a deathly dark dragon's day in the distance. We returned to the main floor, then entered a tower with lizard folk chambers, and ascended stairs to find vacant rooms, a ladder, and a trapdoor in the ceiling. Iron spikes sealed the door shut, but gangs quickly removed those, and Tolarin, Brick, and I crept into the upper chamber, a musty, rotten-floored room, furnished with cobwebs. Suddenly, two giant spiders dropped down from the darkness above, and immediately von ensnared Tolarin in a sticky silken skein. Quickly, gangs, Yorat, and Tigan joined in the melee, along with a shadow demon, summoned by our warlock. Just as quickly, more giant spiders engaged us from above. Gangs finished off one of the arachnids, while Tigan attempted to help Tolarin wriggle free of the wet white webbing pinning him to the sagging floor. Alas, an even more mammoth spider dropped down among us, and the rotten wood gave way beneath all, as we crashed down to the level below. The chaos of battle raged on, as your attentai slew to giant spiders. Tolarin became free, Tigan became ensnared, Gangs was poisoned, Mighty Brick was struck down, and the Shadow Demon vanished. Gangs and Tolarin attacked the Mammoth Spider together while I attended to the Fallen Brick. Tigan burst the biggest one with a Shatter spell, and Tolarin killed the last of the giant creatures with a dart as it tried to retreat. We were all in need of a short rest. After a brief repose, we carried on to the next tower, which housed simple quarters for the lower-level cutters, and a study. The rooms contained personal effects, but nothing of note regarding the teleportation circle, and no remaining cultists to question. We then headed to the last remaining tower, in hopes of finally finding the answer to our riddle. 
we climbed the stairs and came up to a library, still staffed by a handful of cultists. While the other cans hit, I entered the room, magically disguised as Asbara Jazz, hoping to gain the information we sought through deception. They claimed that only Resmir, a dragonborn of their order, had the trigger word for the teleportation circle. They indicated that Resmir's rooms were on the next level, so we continued to the third floor. The rooms of Resmir were lavishly appointed with fine furnishings and a pair of magnificently carved onyx dragons. The doors of the wardrobe were decorated in a depiction of Tiamat, and a suit of dragon scale armor was on display. Suddenly, Ganks inadvertently sprung a trap, dousing the room and all its finery in acid, ruining the lot. But, by the will of Beshaba, Tigan found a paper with the trigger word, Drezir, at a long last. We raced back down to the teleportation chamber, stood together within the circle, and spoke the incantation. Instantly, we were whisked away, out of the humid, salty swamp air we had become accustomed to, and into the crisp, bracing freshness of a boreal valley. A large timber and stone structure stood in the near distance, so we headed there to continue our investigations. Closer inspection revealed the place to be a hunting lodge. Reluctantly, we donned our stolen cultist uniforms as a disguise. We entered the lodge, passing through a cloakroom, into a grand foyer decorated with demonic statues and painted suits of armor. We all milled about, distracted by our new surroundings, when I realized Yorad the Wanderer was missing. Gangs and I found him in a trophy room, entranced by a shimmering tapestry. As he pressed his nose to the fabric, Yorad vanished from the room, magically transported into the embroidered scene. Brick and Tolarin came in and, as we recounted Yorad's predicament, the floor sprang to life, riding with malicious black tentacles, entangling Brick, Ganks, and Tolarin. Tentigan and Turt, wary of the magic hazard, as I, too, stepped aside from the tentacular reach. Alas! I stepped right into the path of an animated suit of armor, balefully brandishing a brutal blade. I traded vicious blows with the soulless suit, and I was badly hurt, but it proved impervious to my vampiric touch. Ganks, now free of the tentacles, leapt with gusto to my aid. The animated armor, though lacking life, still had feelings, and it was this that Tigan targeted with his barbed banter. While Tolarin flung his darts, Ganks flied his fists, and Brick hurled his javelin, ultimately destroying the ensorcelled steel sentinel. We took a short rest while Jurat returned to the lodge from the nearby hunting grounds he had evidently been transported to. We continued to explore the lodge in a hotter skelter manner, finding a room full of unthreatening kobold servants, a linen closet, and a laundry room. Jurat and Tolarin reportedly encountered a pair of skittish maids in some bedchambers. Eventually, we all made our way into a kitchen, staffed by a team of scholars who had first seemed annoyed by our presence, but were ultimately overwhelmed by our collective charisma. We then followed Tigan and Gangs down a set of stairs that led to a cellar, where we discovered three captives. Brother Kemon, a priest of Amaunator, on pilgrimage from Hillsfar, was bound but otherwise unharmed. Miresela, a comely Baldurian wench, had obviously been roughly abused by her captors. But Kragnor, an unbearded dwarf, seems to have been singled out for the worst abuse. Most shockingly, all three prisoners identified, by both name and description, 
Our Neverwinshian associate than Nag the White, of all people, as their cultist tormentor. Can this be true? Perhaps. With faith in Beshaba, I know all things are possible. Kragnor said we might find Danak upstairs, so we left him in his shackles, departed the cellar, and continued to secure the main floor. The place was full of valuable items free for the taking, silverware, tapestries, exotic hunting trophies. In von Lavjure's lounge, Jorat even discovered a pair of battled healing potions, tucked behind a mounted griffin's head. We headed to the foyer, and started upstairs, but suddenly the demonic statues flanking the staircase sprang to life. Tagan shattered, and his sounds inspired Jorat to do the same in harmony. Brick followed with a cloud of talent, and Tolarin added a percussive beat of maze blows and punches. I joined in with a staccato blast of magic missiles, and Gangs finished the first foe with a flash of his fearsome fists. What a sweet symphony of violence! The second gargoyle ruined the vibe, as it beat Tolarin, but after another shatter spell from Yorat and a few swizz of talent from Brick, it too fell to pieces at our feet. We continued upstairs, and after nosing through a rusty armor with a ruined roof, yet another fancy chamber with valuable tapestries, and a laundry room, we eventually located Dannak. He invited us all into a meeting room, where he was attended by three guards in sky mail, and one with full cultist warrior regalia. Dannak himself was suited in white scale mail, and he gripped a bejeweled wand in his meaty fist. Dannak hosted us cordially, and apologized for all the trouble caused to us personally by the dragon cult. He explained that he wanted to soothe Caius within the ranks of the cult, for his own personal gain, and invited us to align our own goals with his. To that end, he told us our lost riches could be recovered if we could make it to Skyridge, a flying castle before it took off from the ground near the town of Parnast. He also named the five worm speakers who lead the cult, Severn the Red, Gauvin the Blue, Neronvain the White, Resmir the Black, and lastly, Varram the White, whom Danak especially hoped we might kill. He told us of a five-color banner, and were escort signs, that we would need to gain entry to the castle. He implored us to hurry, before Skyrich took to the clouds, and bade us not to tarry outside the lodge, lest, trepsing the five-armed troll, catch up Vitus. Armed with all this vital intelligence, we left for Parnast, only five miles to the north. Immediately, we were beset on the trail by a half-dozen ambush drakes and trepsing, the fearsome five-armed troll. Bricks stood two to two with trepsing while the drakes were swiftly cut down with our weapons and spellcraft. The famed regenerative powers of the troll allowed Trepshin to withstand our onslaught, but it was ultimately forced to flee from our party in defeat. We healed our wounds from this bloody fight as best we could, and continued on our way to Parnast. As we entered the rustic mountain town, we could see the enormous ice castle, Skyridge, shrouded in fog and the southern end of town. The road into town led to a well in the town square. The square was surrounded by a handful of simple buildings, and the well was surrounded by a handful of simple goons. One of these men broke off from the others, and headed towards a nearby tavern, so I misty stepped ahead of him and made my way in first. Inside, I was brusquely greeted by the barkeep of the Golden Tankard, a grafman named Ragnar, who offered a disappointing menu of food and drink. The atmosphere inside was cheerless. 
the other cans eventually made their way into join my table. And I went to talk with a livery officer who seemed to be the most important man in the room. The man, a Captain Otterstan, had nothing to say to me, but after our meeting I saw him whispering into a small stone. Very curious behavior indeed. Tigan began to play his lyre, which lifted the mood noticeably, and drew all eyes to him. So I slipped out and headed towards a nearby multi-fate shrine. Suddenly, a low blast of a horn sounded from within the fat to the south, and the ice cast began to ascend into the air. The other cans came outside, and Yorat said a helpful local man inside the tavern, a wheelwright named Gundalin, told him that if we want to reach the airborne castle, we needed to quickly get to the stables. We followed Gundalin's advice. Inside the bone-littered stables, we found three domesticated wyverns, winged and waiting to take flight. Yorat, Ganks, and Tolarin skillfully saddled the creatures. We mounted them in pair, and by Beshaba's wheel we swiftly took off, just before the local guards burst in, hurling their spears in our wake. In little time, we flew to the front face of the frozen flying fortress, its gargantuan gateway guarded by a couple of carved kelasai. In the shelter of the entranceway, we rested. By Beshaba's wheel, when we awake, we will find a way in, Kla to Beradenikto Amen. The 7th of Kitorn, 1492. We awoke with the dawn, and examined the castle entry in the light. The closed oak drawbridge door blocked the main way in, but we could see a window some 40 feet up the adjacent tower. Tolarin scaled to the opening, and then came back down, informing the group of the ogres he spotted inside. Ganks quickly climbed up to take a look for himself, followed by Tolarin, Brick and Tegan, while Yorat and I waited below. A few moments later, the drawbridge began to open, as Ganks had dropped inside and, instead of finding ogres, found a winch which controlled the door. Seeing this as my best opportunity to gain entry, I misty stepped through the bars of the portcullis, into the lower courtyard. Outside the gate, the fog was too thick for my vision to penetrate, but as soon as I had crossed the threshold, the sounds of conflict began to rage outside. Suddenly, Yorat was by my side, as he mistily escaped the attack of a guardian statue that had just sprung to life. Together, we raced to join our party in the tower, under the spirit attack by three ogre defenders. As we entered, Tolarin ended von ogre's life, Brick was leaking blood, Ganks was catching an enemy javelin, and Tegan, Degerdron, was leaping an ogre from atop the winch. In a flash, Yorat killed an ogre with an eldritch blast, and Ganks dropped the fort with his furious fists. With a moment of peace, we began to take a positions to ambush our next adversaries. Soon enough, another ogre burst through the door, and we slaughtered him in an instant. Alarm bells were ringing out from the other tower, and loud clattering noises seemed to indicate the portcullis was being raised. Tigan raced to the top of the tower, where he found a huge javelin firing ballista, while the rest of us prepared for more attackers in the room below. A moment later, the two guardian statues rushed in, and again they attacked in unison. From atop the tower, Tigan fired the ballista into a phalanx of eight dragoming cultist warriors and ogres in the lower courtyard. Eventually, the female golem fell to pieces, but more ogres were in the doorway. Von was killed after Tigan dropped an armload of javelins on it from the rooftop, but Anad immediately crawled over its body and into the room, followed by a host of dragonmings.
Tolarin and Brick were felled by Dragoming Tax, but in Beshaba's name I revived them both. The other Trikans continued to slaughter our foes. At last, the few remaining attackers tried to retreat, but Ganks, Yorat, and Tigan showed them no mercy, and soon all lay vanquished. As Tigan of their party's wounds with his hang words, we changed out of our tattered old blue dragon cultist disguises, and suited up in black dragon wing uniforms. After a brief rest, we left the tower room and explored eastward. We found our way to a dragon wing barracks with 14 banks, and then a chaotic kitchen stuffed with kobolds. Moving on from there, we found an icy spiral staircase which led to the castle's upper courtyard, and a pair of double doors to the north. Through these doors, we came to a vestibule leading to more rooms. At Abgans' shoulders, I picked the lock to a well-stacked larder to the east, but failed to unlock the door to the west, so we then went through an unlocked grand door to the north. Inside this macabre, horse-skull-decorated chamber, we encountered Resmir, the black dragonborn cultist, and a mysterious red wizard, attended by two guard drakes, and a gargoyle. In a flash, the wizard blasted our group with a fireball, Resmir spat her acid, the gargoyle swooped in, and the guard drakes took down Tegan. It was then, that Asbarajas, previously invisible, suddenly appeared, firing magic missiles at a brick. Brick and Tolarin slew one of the drakes, as gang spammed the gargoyle with a devastating combination of strikes. The wizard then rushed to Asbara's side, and cast a cone of cold, felling Yorad in the icy blast. Tolarin killed Asbara, and moved on to Resmir. Seeing the tables turned, the wizard fled, passing through an illusory wall to the north. Resmir cast darkness, and he too made his escape while we fumbled about in the black void. Tolarin and Brick found their way to the light, and finished off the second drake and the gargoyle. We revived Tigan and Yorat with our last potions of healing, and quickly searched the room. We found a trove of correspondence between the Red Wizard, named Rafmodar, and Severin, the supreme leader of the Dragon Cult. On a lectern, I discovered an infernal tome. Beyond the Iron Gates. Describing a ritual to summon Tiamat. And, from the corpse of Asbarajas, we recovered a scroll and his wizarding spellbook. We should get these materials to our Harper and Order of the Gauntlet allies, Leosin and Ontar, back in September. We continued to explore the castle, hunting for the coward Resmir, in and out of a guest bedroom, through the wyvern stables, until we came to a room occupied by a stone giant couple, engrossed in making our intense soup. The charming Tagan Ramagil led the introductions, and Viglov and Halde welcomed us as treasured guests. They told us of their cloud giant host, Blagotkus, and asked our fellowship if we fought his planned alliance, between the giants and the cultists, was a good idea. We convinced them that it was utter foolishness, and they rewarded our wise counsel with refuge for the night, by the grace of Beshaba, Kla to Berade Nikto Amen. The 8th of Kitorn, 1492. Refreshed from our slumber, we ventured up the spiral stairs, to the castle's upper courtyard. There, a phalanx of ogres practiced drills with their javelins, and the northwest end of the yard. We snuck silently to the southeast, where we found a few unremarkable guest chambers and then, a curious cave entrance. We entered, and followed a curving tunnel downward, past branching passages, until we came to a large, two-level cavern, with an icicle-encrusted ceiling, and a was glittering treasure hoard encased beneath the frozen floor. 
Tegan crossed the cavern to find another tunnel on the north wall, and Gangs moved east, to search for a way up to the higher level. Suddenly, from above, a white dragon appeared, freezing our spirits with its menacing presence, and our sinews with its chilling breath. In unison, Yorat and I lashed back at the wind river with hellish rebukes. Tolarin tried to gain higher ground, as Brick launched his javelins, but the dragon was hard to hit. I lit our target with a guiding bolt, and Yorat smote it with a pair of eldritch blasts. Gangs attempted to parl in vain, as Tegan enraged it further with a shatter spell. The dragon roared, and declared its name, Glajal the Cloud Chaser, as it coldly promised our imminent doom. Then it flew to Tegan, and the mouth of the North Tunnel, turned, and lashed the bard with his barbed tail. Tegan shot a thunder wave up Glajal's icy cloaca, then Misty stepped away to safety. From across the cavern, Yorat and I hurled more spells, and Brick hurled more javelins, one hit, which seemed to startle Glajal, who suddenly fled. It was then that I noticed, beneath my feet and another foot of clear ice, an exquisite pair of bracers amassed the copper, silver, and golden coins. A quick blast of my burning hands nearly melted enough of the ice to free them, but at that same moment, a squad of ogres appeared on the upper ridge, their javelins sailing through the air towards Brick and Gangs. Gangs caught one in his own ogre gloved grip, but he and Brick both took damage from the attack. Then, Glajal the Cloud Chaser reappeared, and with a single blast of icy breath, froze Brick in place where he stood. Tegan shattered Glajal again, but the dragon beat the brave bard in the backside, as Tegan bolted back up the north tunnel. While Tolarin crept to circle behind the ogres on the plateau, I limbed von Ogre in the radiance of Bashabai's guiding bolt, and Yorat blasted Glajal with Eldritch Force. Together, the two ran for cover in the southern tunnel. As soon as Gans caught up with his stealthy brother, the ogres spotted the two monks. Tolarin sprang at the radiant ogre target, dropping it to its knees, and Gangs finished it off. Glajal was too distant to hit effectively, so Yorat and I joined the Mang brothers in battling the ogre squad. Tegan, cornered by Glajal, heroically tried to polymorph the dragon, but the monster's legendary innate resistance was too strong for our bar's stepped transmutation to top. Still, Glajal seemed unnerved by the attempt and, again, the dragon fled the cavern in a frigid flesh. The tides of chaos shifting in our favor, I incinerated a greasy ogre with a firebolt and charged forward onto the plateau with Yorat, as he lashed out with more eldritch blasts. Behind a synthet tunnel, three more ogres charging, to join the frozen fray. Tegan emerged from the north tunnel and, with a healing vort, revived Brick, just as Glajal emerged from a tunnel to the east. Yorat cast shutter behind a sand, together, he and I fled for cover down another tunnel. Brick tossed another javelin at the ogres, while Tolarin battled them two to two. Gangs spat lightning down the tunnel, and softly leapt off the plateau, to the glittering floor below. Glajal bellowed a bitter blast of brisk breath at our bard, freezing our fellow in place where he stood. The rage and the ogres all around. Tolarin took down one, and together Yorat and I killed another. As Gangs and Tolarin fought the last of the ogres, I spotted Glajal squeezing through a hole in the ceiling. I cast a fireball at the dragon, and Misty stepped away from any retaliation that might come, but Glajal once again fled the scene. While Tolarin, Brick, and Gans worked together to revive Tegan, 
I quickly retrieved and donned the fancy bracers I had discovered earlier, using my burning hands once again to melt the ice. Our senses on alert for the return of Glajal, we began to notice more noteworthy items amongst the enormous horde, a wonderful longbow, an exquisite longsword, and an ornate chest. Ten sharp-eyed Tegan spotted Glajal again, and sang out a shatter spell, scaring the dragon of once more. Rather than wait around for its next reappearance, we retreated up the spiral stairs, to an upper courtyard guest bedroom for a short rest, to plot our next moves. To recover the treasure hoard, we will need to bring this flying castle down. And our best hope of doing that, may rest in one of the castle's towers. We headed north, and west, to the closest tower, but we could not gain entry through its use, locked stone door. To our east, ogres atop a high blue tower began to assail our position, firing ballista bolts and throwing boulders. Ahead, we could see a winding path leading up to a door at the tower's base, so we all ran towards it. Brick and the monks ascended the twisting ramp, but suddenly six ogres burst out of our barracks across the courtyard to our north. Brick leapt from his elevated position onto the closest ogre, the talon of Tresendar flashing in his hands, while Tegan and Yorat shattered into the middle of their group. I cast darkness upon them, to further stymie their advance, and headed for higher ground. Just then, Gangs and Tolarin leapt down onto a pair of ogres, both monks killing their targets. Yorat shatters the attackers again, and another ogre fell. I roasted one more from above, with my burning hands, while Brick drove Talon into its belly, then bolted through the darkness, into the barracks. As Tegan and Gangs finished off the last two ogres, and Yorat was flinging Eldritch blasts at the ballista high above, I called out to my fellows, to rally to the barracks, then I ran through the darkness to join Brick. Inside this fetid flap house, unfurnished safe for food, and furs, and filth, Brick and I were soon joined by the remainder of our party. While we took a short rest, we looked around for lot, eventually scrounging up some 800 silver coins, and 300 gold. Then, I cloaked myself in invisibility, opened the door, and left the safety of the barracks, heading northeast, my fellow cans running with me, hoping to avoid incoming missiles. With a well-aimed spell, Yorat Eldritch blasted the ballista to pieces, but the ogres atop the high tower continued to test their boulders, until they got beyond their effective range, on the eastern side of the courtyard. Surveying our new surroundings, we found a door to our north, a huge tower to our east, and a cave entrance to our west. We entered the north door, discovering another giant guest bedroom. At a touch, a large section of the icy, north wall vanished, opening the room to the rush of air, as the magical castle soared forward. Finding nothing else of interest here, we moved on, and headed to the large tower to our east. As we opened the door to the tower, a bell chimed to alert its occupants of our entry. Inside, we found a round chamber, ringed with a staircase, occupied by four girls wearing plumed helmets. They demanded the state our business. We convinced the pretentious peons that we were cutters with an appointment to see the master of the castle, so they obligingly led us up to the second floor. Here, we found Blagotkus, the cloud giant, sitting on the floor, being attended to by a pair of ogre servants. Evidently this was his private chamber. It contained a huge, fur-covered bed, with a headboard shaped like a cloud, and the icy walls were sculpted with reliefs, depicting rock-riding giants. 
an exasperate blagotkus demanded to know, whoever, and what our true business was, either for, or against, the cult of the dragon. We all shed our disguises, and declared ourselves the enemies of the cult. Though skeptical at first, Blagotkus was eventually convinced of our motives, and agreed to a truce between our group and his own ogre forces, if we would rid his castle of the remaining vestiges of the cult. Specifically, if we can slay Glajael, and another mysterious creature of the night that haunts the crumbling tower, Blagotkus vows to take us to refuge, and return our stolen treasure. The mighty Blagotkus then began to sing into melancholia, talking of his regrets working with the cult. How they have fouled the castle, how the castle is powered by the spirit of his dead wife, how his wife's intum din a frozen mausoleum, blah, blah, blah. Too much information. We left Blagotkusi's tower, and headed south, towards the winding icy ramp leading to the crumbling tower. The door and the base was sealed shut, so it seemed our only means of entry was through a balcony, some seventy feet up the tower. Though the surface was quite craggy, it was also very cool, and slippery, so it was with some difficulty, that your attentive followed the more athletic cans up the side. Eventually, we all made it onto the icy balcony, but the fragile structure immediately gave way beneath our weight. Gangs and Yorat managed to cling to the side, but the rest of our party plummeted back down to the snowy ground. Together, Gangs and Yorat entered the high room, and from below, we could see the chamber blaze with the familiar rich light of Yorat's witchcraft, and hear the electric sizzle of Gangs's lightning breath. Tolarin and I leapt back onto the exterior wall, and started our treacherous climb once more. Meanwhile, Brick and Tegan somehow managed to find a way inside the tower, and they too, started to climb, to a set of broken interior stairs. More than halfway to the top, my foot in slipped, and I was back on the snowy ground. I was about to curse my rotten luck, when a wailing body came hurtling out of the tower, landed at my feet, and burst into ash and flame. I realized, with piety, that this was all part of Bashaba's plan, and gave solemn thanks to Lady Doom. With the sounds of battle raging overhead, I calmly began to climb the wall again, securing the knowledge that the maid of misfortune was guiding my every step. I was again about halfway up the wall when the cacophony ended, and someone lowered down a rope and pulled me up. Once I joined the others, they told me of the battle. Raf Modar, the Tyan Red Wizard, and the creature of the night Blagotkus had spoken of, a vampire named Sandesil Morga, had fled in defeat, her to nameless vampiric froze lay slain in the fray. We smashed open the dark chamber's covered windows, and destroyed Morges and Holy Coffin, ensuring that she would not find refuge here again. Returning to Blagotkus, we informed him of our victory. He thanked us for ridding his cast of these last unwelcome guests. He told us that, in about a week, we would arrive at a frost giant refuge on the Miklos Glacier, where he will seek to rally his fellow giants to join the fight against the cult of the dragon. Beshaba Willen, the rest of our journey aboard Skyridge Castle will prove uneventful. Kla to berade nikto amen.